This week's scripture passage comes from Philippians chapter 3, uh, verses 7 to 11 and 18 to 21. Um, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Today we're going to continue looking through the letter that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. Um, We have already seen that Paul was very transparent in his letter. Uh, He knew these people well. He was in a prison environment, and yet he was still able to somehow focus on the needs of others. We can only dream that we could be that same type of person. Uh, I certainly don't uh, in any way assume that I have that uh, uh, depth of identity, but I can certainly look at what he has to share and uh, be, be challenged to, to grow and have that kind of maturity in my identity. As we look in chapter 3, again, as always, our goal is not to gain more knowledge of just the Scriptures and being able to quote more verses, but but to allow the Scripture to speak to our spirits, to speak to our hearts, to humble us and challenge us in our walk with Christ. So even as we begin today, let's have that attitude. And I'll lead us in a short prayer. Father God, we do thank You that we can come to You, that we can read Your Scripture and confess our sins, and confess our limitations, and confess our hunger to know You in a deeper way. Father, we would ask that the Holy Spirit would come into our hearts and guide us, burden us, help us to know what it is to be used by You. Father, we thank You for this wonderful testimony of an apostle who was in the worst of environments and did not allow his circumstances to constrain his burden and his love of other brothers and sisters that he felt had even a greater spiritual need. Father, help us to have similar concerns for those that we know, that we might be focused on others and less focused on ourselves. In Jesus' name, Amen. Father, we thank You 
so much for allowing us to come together here. Father, we thank You for allowing us to study Your Word. We pray these things with full expectation that God is in our midst. When we come together to worship, we can truly focus our direction and say, Father, we thank You. As we look at the third chapter, we can see that Paul in the first few verses of chapter 3 was actually, if you will, a bit hacked off. A bit frustrated, a little angry. Um, genuine righteous indignation was found within the heart of Paul. And if we look at chapter 3, verses 1, 2, and 3, it says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Now, rejoice is not the hacked off part. That's a good thing. That's not his anger. That's not his frustration. He says, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again as a safeguard for you. So he's focused on their need and he's writing. And he's saying, stay focused on your rejoicing, your positive spirit in serving the Lord. And I think that's part of coming together to worship. We need to come in here with a sense of expectation that the Holy Spirit is meeting us every Sunday. It is a rejoicing time. But he goes on and he says, watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have even more. Paul starts off this letter in a very interesting way because he moves from this sense of encouragement to say, stay focused on your walk with Christ. And then immediately he rolls into a description of something that he feels has been a danger to the church at Philippi. Legalism, if you will, from Judaizers who have come into their midst. These people who felt that for a person to be a proper Christian, one had to first follow the laws of Moses. One had to somewhat become a Jew in every sense of the word. And Paul says, this is silliness. This teaching is wrong. Now, if you remember back in history, we have another time where he and Peter have already had quite a discussion. I'm not talking about Brother Agawa here. We're talking about a different Peter, you understand. And he was talking about the Peter in the Scripture. And he said that, in, that Paul and Peter had a, a difference of opinion about how Gentiles were to be sought after to be able to become Christians and how Jews of their day were also to be sought, out, sought after to become Christians. But as we look in this particular Scripture, the Judaizers, these people who had this standard of saying you have to first become Jewish in form before we'll classify you as a true Christian, Paul said, that's just nonsense. And he referred to them not in a very polite terminology. He called them dogs. And the reference of dogs here, as every time I've looked it up in different places, it always refers to them actually functioning as a, as a, as a dirty uh, pack of animals that were scavenging around the city. So it's a very negative word to refer to someone as a dog. I think something we need to grasp here is that Paul did not, in a, in a gentle, soft, polite, 
sweet, unoffensive way worry about how he expressed this particular teaching. Wrong is wrong. He dared to say that which is wrong. I think for us as Christians, we have to learn that you can be too gentle. You can present things in a way that people just don't hear you. So Paul said, they're dogs. They're mutilators. He had very strong words toward these people. He said, they do evil. And then he goes on and he said, I know what they're teaching. I understand their legalism. I understand the hoops that they require before they would really respect you as a Christian. But I want you to know those hoops are not of God. Those are man-made rules. Those are man-made ideas. And he said, and furthermore, I want to just spend a moment to remind you that I do know what I'm talking about. And Paul goes ahead and he gives some description of himself. And so we're going to be looking at that. But Paul's anger is very, very understandable. He was upset to hear that such people, such Judaizers, would be floating around within the congregation that he had planted. Now remember, Paul was a church planter. Now, you don't have to be a church planter to have his heart. But in his case, he had planted this church in Philippi. He had a burden and a love for them. Some years have gone by. He's been away from them. He's traveled to several different other places in the meantime, lost some contact with them. They got back in contact with him and said, Paul, we know that you are our founding pastor. We want to continue to support you. We want to give you some money. So in the first couple of chapters, we see some of that. So Paul is writing this letter back and to say, thank you so much. Very much as we heard from Brother Godwin this morning. A thank you for that support. An encouragement. And yet, he said, you know, in the midst of my thanking you in the letter that I'm writing, I do want to say to you, be careful. There are always things in this world that can distract you. And legalism is one of those things. The legalism that you will find coming out of the Judaizers is not healthy. It is not correct. And I need to tell you strongly, I'm not going to be gentle. I want you to understand how dangerous it is. You see, we have to understand, these Judaizers very much followed a works type of understanding of how you got your righteousness. And so these Judaizers were coming in and saying, for you to really be accepted by God as a righteous person, for you to have that cleanliness on who you are, you've got to do it the right way. And the only correct way to do that is to first become acceptable to the Jewish people and their legalism. And Paul said that's, that's not required. So we must remember that partaking in the Lord's Supper, communion, baptism, being a part of church councils, being a part of committees and having church membership, Sunday school, worship services, tithing, all of those things are perfectly good, but they have no guarantee within them that you are righteous. There's no guarantee by the actions you take that your relationship with God is healthy. That is a spiritual matter. When we come together in here and we sit through these worship services, if in our hearts and in our spirit we're not bowing down, 
before our Lord and giving Him praise and focusing on worshiping Him and thanking Him for allowing us to be a part of His family, then we're still not knowing what it is to worship. So Paul is challenging and saying, Legalism, rules, regulations, just fulfilling those is inadequate. Going to SummerCon, going to SYC, those are nice things, still guarantees nothing as far as your relationship with Christ. It's a reminder that our spiritual walk is found in our heart, not just in how we appear before other people. Paul's reminder is that the heart must be circumcised and pure. He's saying it's the heart that needs to be circumcised, not physical things that are found within the law. Paul saw the danger of the Judaizers, and he could not constrain himself but to speak up. When you see that which is based on man's rules and regulations and legalism, Do we dare to question it? I'm not saying there are no standards. Please don't misunderstand. The Scripture gives us many things very clearly stated for what is right, what is wrong, what is healthy, what is unhealthy. Applying those things to our lives after we have a right motivation in our heart, no problem. But if we're doing it assuming following those rules and those regulations will make us righteous, we are wrong. Paul saw people that were confused. And he said, I don't want my church, the one that I started in Philippi, to have confusion. I want to remind them from the earliest time, even in this letter, be careful and be careful of your motivation. It is very easy for human beings to misinterpret or corrupt that which is intended for good. I remember a number of years ago, first time I went to a Catholic church. Now, Catholics and Anglicans, there are multiple denominations that have some of these same uh, habits. But I remember going into the church and they had these icons around the wall. And they also had, the, the you were looking at the uh, stages of the cross. And so they had the stages of the cross and they, they have where Christ is carrying the cross and walking to the cross and how he eventually ends up on the cross. And they're intended to help a person's spiritual journey to be able to reflect as you look at those things. But I still remember, also they had certain places where they had little candles placed in front of them. And I saw one lady going over and she was praying in front of a statue of Mary. And I remember going and talking with her. And she said, well, you have to understand, Jesus is very busy. He doesn't really have time to talk to all of us. So that's why I always talk to Mary. And you know, I thought when I heard that, you know, I'm sure that placing most of those icons on the wall, sometimes they use pictures, sometimes they use statues, But I'm sure that back in history there was a time when someone thought that these were going to really be of great assistance to people in their understanding and grasp of who Jesus was. But if we're not careful, even that which was intended with a type of good plan 
can become abused. It's a reason that usually in a Baptist church, evangelical free, MB church, many of the Protestant denominations, you see walls like ours. I always feel sad about it. Because we don't have some of those nice things. And yet it's also a reaction on our part to be sure we don't confuse people. Those are not our idols on the wall. Those icons are not for what we worship. They are not what we come here to do. So even that which is intended for good sometimes can become very confusing for people. Paul sees this. And so he tells them, there are people who are bringing wrong theology in to your circle. Be careful. Know what you believe. Brothers and sisters, we have a, a, a life group on Sunday morning that's talking about knowing what we believe. And I believe Wee Guan is somewhere in here, and I know he's burdened for that. We do need to know how we stand in our faith. And as we look at that, we have to recognize that indeed, Paul goes ahead in beginning in about verse 5, 6, 7, 8, and he's pointing out some specifics. And he says, you know, actually, if anybody in this whole room that I'm talking to, and in that letter particularly, in my letter I'm telling all of you that I should be the most righteous of you all. I know you guys are proselytes. You're individuals who have become Christians. You were not grown up as a, as a Jew. But if, if we use the system of what these Judaizers are using, if we say you have to first be Jewish-like to be classified as a, a real, genuine Christian, then I'm the best. My race is in good condition. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was born in the tribe of Benjamin. I grew up in the system where I can trace my lineage back to Abraham and Isaac. I can go to the real history of who we are. I have got all it takes to be classified as the best. So my race and my identity there is strong. Paul found pride in that reality. He found identity in that. I know when I first moved to East Asia, I bumped into people that there very, very much was a, a tie to being a Tongyang. You know, it was being a particular part of the Chinese identity. People could always identify their family trees. There were a lot of different things in there that were, that were important to them. Well, Paul was no different. He said, I know who I am. I've, and I find it interesting today, in fact, it's kind of funny, you watch on television today, and all this stuff about Ancestry.com, all these people wanting to know their, their roots, who they are, where they came from. For myself, I know my background was, well, I'm basically a mutt, and a mutt's just a mix of everything. I'm one quarter French, one quarter German, and then one half American, just straight up. So what I am today, I don't know, but I do know one important thing. I, like Paul, and we do see it toward the end of chapter 3, am a kingdom of heaven person. My identity, my most important identity, is found in the fact that I am a Christian. But Paul goes ahead and he points through his own background there and he says, I have all the rights and privileges to be able to stand up and say, you should respect me because the Jewish identity is there. But he says, that's not what's important. 
He says that's not even close to what's important. And he says on another, in another way, in verse 5, he talks about his religious background. And you know, it's very interesting because he's talking basically about where he was educated. So he, he kicks off into this and he says, he, he had the professor Gamaliel. And Gamaliel was known as one of the top teachers for being a Pharisee. And Gamaliel, and we can see in Acts 2, 22, 3, we can understand that to be a Pharisee was no small feat. And it gives some description of what all was there. And there weren't many of them around. We tend to think of a person as being very obstinate due to our reading of Scripture, but we must remember that without Paul's writing and his background, we wouldn't have the Scriptures that we have today. So Paul, even though he was very strong, very opinionated in some ways, his words had great value. Paul valued his background. I remember for myself, the first time I was talking with some people in East Asia, I learned about what they called wild chicken schools. Yeah, guy, how? how. You know, and I said, wow, what's, what is this wild chicken? And they said, well, you know, it's totally unaccredited schooling. It's a school that exists, but there's no, no accrediting agency behind it. So basically, anybody that wanted to get a group of seven people together could call it a school, and away you go. And you could be the president of it, too. And so I began to learn a little bit. I mean, I've played that game. I've been around people who have graduated. And so I do pay attention when I'm talking to someone. For myself, I remember after I finished university and I went on to do my first master's degree, I got over there and, and that was one of the big things. They wanted to see my credentials before I started teaching at Hong Kong Baptist University. They wanted to know whether I was from an accredited school. And at the next stage, it was the same way. Every time you're building, they want to know, have you come from a school that is responsible and accredited? When I had an opportunity to work on my doctorate, I remember going to Golden Gate Seminary, and I intentionally went there in order to have Tong Yaoji, um, Samuel Tong, as my professor. He was well known in East Asia. I wanted to have him as a teacher. I can still remember going to class. And he was every bit of a Chinese professor that I could have ever dreamed, good and bad. Made you memorize half of the world in order to be in the class. But he was quite a professor. And I had the opportunity, basically in my mind, to sit under Gamaliel. Paul was under Gamaliel, I was under Tong Yaoji. It was a privilege. Paul said, it was a privilege to grow up what I had with, with my background. I had all of the, the rights and privileges of being a real Jew. So in every way, I am a success. He went on and then he goes from that area and he says, and even in the area of religion. He said, you've got to remember, I'm a Pharisee and I'm a good one. And a good Pharisee was one that could persecute the church well. And he said, I persecuted well. The church had great pain under me. I was successful. I was a zealot. In my work, he was a successful legalist. By any definition of Jewish, the Jewish circle, there would have to be high regard for him. Now, we do remember Acts chapter 9 that Paul went through an experience that probably guided him to be who he was. That's where he was on the Damascus Road and the light came from heaven and he was shaken with the miracle that God was giving in his life. Paul was changed. Paul previously knew what it was to be a successful Jewish-approved leader. 
as a Pharisee. He had been through the studies. He had had the right teachers. He had had the right family background. Everything was there. And he said, but you know, even after all of that, it's not valuable. It's not important. And then he switches in verse 7 to verse 12. And he says, I'm a new creature. I'm a new person. The person that experienced that walk, that, that light coming down in Acts where Paul suddenly was challenged on the Damascus Road to be new, to, to recognize that he had been persecuting Christ and it was wrong. Something new had happened in his life. So in, in John chapter 3 verse 30 it says, He must increase and I must decrease. Brothers and sisters, the challenge for you and for me, I think, is to ask ourselves, is that our value system? Is that what you want for you? Is that what I want for me? In all things, do I really want Christ to increase in my will, my desires, my hopes, my goals to decrease? And what am I doing to make that happen? Paul was saying to the Philippine, or the, the Philippines, the Philippian church, and probably would say it to them, we won't go there. But saying to the Philippian church, you must have those values. You must have the values that would say your thinking, your goals are not as important as the goals of God. So in verses 12 to 21, he goes on and he continues to share. And in chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 12, it says, Not that I have obtained all of this or have already been made perfect, but I press on and take hold of that which Christ took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on. If we look through the Scriptures, verses 12 on, we see that Paul was focused on the future. He didn't camp out in what had been in the past. For a church like VCBC or any other church, we must go with expectancy. We've got to dream dreams for God. We've got to push ourselves and ask ourselves why God created us. Why is this church existing? Releasing the past, verses 12 and 30. Paul knew all too well that race, religion, and reputation had not been successful in his life. They had not given him righteousness. He had played that game before. It's the reason that when that light came down, and the question was, Paul, why do you persecute me? It was the reason that Paul changed into a new person. I am pressing forward in my service. I'm not retiring. I'm not settling down. I'm not doing it. I'm calculating. I'm counting. I'm evaluating my life and my purpose and my future. And I'm willing to give it all to you in verses 13 and 14. Not knowing everything was no embarrassment to Paul. Even though he was their pastor emeritus. He was a transparent pastor who confessed his weaknesses and his challenges. For you and for me, we have to ask ourselves, how honest are we with ourselves and who we are? Paul was willing to look objectively at himself. 
He was a continuing learner. Certainly it challenges you and me to be a learner as well in our spiritual walk. Paul also dares to challenge the Philippians to follow him even though he openly admits that he doesn't know everything. He offers not security or perfection, but he just simply says it's worth the effort. In verse 18, it's difficult for us to, uh, because it warns the Philippian church that enemies of the cross continue to function. The Judaizer, the legalists continue to function. And he says, it's not healthy there. And I would say it's not healthy here. Legalism is not our goal. A walk with Christ is our goal. The Judaizers were materialists. They were very much based on physical works and evidence of what their walk was. It was not a spiritual identity in that sense. They were very much leaders without wisdom. They had position, but position is no guarantee of wisdom. And I think that's, again, something you and I have to remember. Meeting a person who has money, a person who is in a certain position, still no guarantee that individual has the wisdom and the dependency on the Holy Spirit that they should. It's interesting that Paul would mention this, for it revealed the focus by religious people on something other than what we might think of. Whether it be guilt or hurts or failures or successes of the day gone by, Paul challenges the church, and I would say us as well, to focus on the future. We've got to look at the future. Don't get swallowed up by the past. Um, Paul isn't saying that Christians are righteous in their own ability. He's saying that having looked at what these Judaizers have come in and presented as methods to become healthy with God, they have indeed revealed the fact that they are unhealthy. And so, we live in a fallen world, and it's our responsibility to find answers to help that fallen world. There was a day... Uh, when we had many countries around our world that were called Christian countries. For myself, having lived overseas most of my life, coming back to the Western world actually was quite a shock. In, in, in my world overseas, my assumption when I met people was that they were not Christians. And the joy came when I found out they were. But very often they indeed were not believers. And so we talked and we spoke and we had all kinds of interaction and my trying to help them to understand that God really did love them and have a plan for their lives and cares for them and wants to have a relationship with them was very, very common. But often I can remember thinking, well, back in the Western world, there's a much more sensitive and aware society of who God is. I thought that all the way to the time that I came back over here to live. Then I arrived back in the Western world and I discovered that is no longer a given in our society. If you want to know where you have to go to be a missionary, I will tell you, open the front door and walk across the street. Our opportunities for doing missions are all around us because people need the Lord. Paul understood that. Paul presented that as a challenge. For the Christian, verse 20 refers to heavenly citizenship. 
It's encouraging and it's distressing. It's encouraging for the Christian to have confidence, excitement about the future, and knowing that indeed our future is set. If we truly have Christ as the Lord of our lives, Paul is saying, worry not, church that I planted. The church at Philippi needed not have any concern if they truly were following Christ as Savior and Lord. But they said at the exact same time, in the midst of that promise, is a reality. And that is that you know and I know people that I work with, people that I go to school with, Maybe someone sitting next to you in this congregation that's playing religion. We know people who have no future. How can we, and that's what Paul was challenging this church to recognize, how can we be anything other than salt and light? And as I said from the very beginning, when Paul talked about the Judaizers, And he stepped forward and he said, they're dogs. They're doing evil. Very strong words. Brothers and sisters, we've got to recognize, we've got a world around us of people that are confused when it comes to their understanding of God and their relationship with Him. We can't allow that just to be an academic awareness. It has to be something that motivates us to be more. It is a joy to know Christ, but not just know about Christ. When I read this scripture in verse in chapter 3, and I see toward the end of the chapter where it's talking about Paul saying that he finds joy in knowing Christ, he's not talking about knowing the facts about who Jesus was. He's talking about walking with Christ, in allowing Christ to guide His actions and His decisions. His motivator for how He treats people, for how He communicates with others, is because the Spirit of God lives within those people. Brothers and sisters, if the Spirit is in your heart, let us seek to always have Christ be more than an academic experience for us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You for the testimony of Paul. We thank You we've been able to read through this letter and gain understanding and insight and burden. Father, help us to not just learn, but to apply what we know. Father, help us to truly have positive Christian witnesses. Help us to be involved in our church. Help us to do those things that we should be doing as followers but not with the goal that somehow our legalistic activities will gain your righteousness. Father God, we ask that Paul's understanding of righteousness, which is fully, only, and completely dependent on the blood of Jesus Christ, be something we grasp and that we have thankful hearts for. Father, we thank You for hearing our prayer. We give You praise this day. In Jesus' name.